Welcome to the Keystone Church Podcast. Keystone Church is located in Keller, Texas, in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Now, let's prepare our hearts for this week's message. Well, we are in a very sweet season of building faith, of building faith. You know, they say when you want to build, a, if you have a sports team that you love, you want to build a good team. You know, there are things you do to build a good team. There are things you do to say, hey, we're building a good team here. We're, we've got a good coach. We've got a good front office. We've got good drafts, and we've got all that. We're building a good team. And Susan and I, in certain seasons, we've looked at each other, and it's been a real sweet moment when we look at each other, particularly as uh, later in our parenting journey. You don't say this when they're preschool, but we look at each other, and we say, man, we're building a great life here. When you're parenting preschoolers, you're like, we're just fighting to survive, right? But, but we've looked at each other and said, man, we're building something here. We're building faith into our kids. We're building, we're building, we're building. There's something about building your life. Maybe you've, you've thought about your career and you've said, man, I'm really building something here. I think I've figured out. In my 20s, I was trying to figure it out. And then I move into my 30s and then maybe even beyond. And I'm saying, man, I, I really feel like I'm building something. I, I'm getting good at something and I'm building a bit of a career and a life. You know that in order to build a life, you have to build faith. And this is, this is a message of our life. For Susan and I, this is our message for life that you can't really build a great life, a God-ordained life, the life where you feel like you are hitting on all cylinders unless you have a solid foundation that has been built by faith. And so we're in a series called Building Faith, but it's more than a series, it's a journey. And so in this journey of building faith, we're in 21 days where as a church, we're in a season of fasting. And so many of us were fasting for all 21 days from entertainment that would distract us, or we're only consuming entertainment that is life-giving. For example, um, Susan and I have been binge-watching The Chosen, Okay, all right. We're binge watching The Chosen, and some of y'all are like, well, that's like, like old. Well, that's because I dug in. I'm, hey, I'm just being honest. I dug in, and I was like, I, I don't really want to watch that. Like years ago, when it started, I was like, ah, I don't know. Some were like, Pastor. <laughs> but it's true. I was like, I don't know. I mean, you know, sometimes the Christian entertainment can be not my taste. And and so I kind of was holding out, but we're on a fast. And so I love to watch like British crime shows and stuff like that, old weird stuff. And, and, but it's like murder and all that stuff. And I'm like, not on the fast. I can't do that. So I'm like, baby, I want to watch The Chosen with you, which was a major marriage move, guys. Major marriage move. Okay. And so we start watching it. All of a sudden, I'm like, this is amazing. So in other words, I got right with God and started watching The Chosen. And I love it, and I'm all in, and, and it's really fun. And I've even gotten, you know, uh, some of our kids had already started watching it. You know, I'm not gonna name names, but the girls. And one of our kids, <laughs> one of our kids wasn't into it. I'm not gonna name names, my son. And, and, uh, and so I'm like, dude, you gotta watch this, man. It's like when you were a little kid and you had the Adventure Bible. You're like, like all comes to life, so you gotta watch this. He's watching it in his room, and I hear, woo-hoo-hoo! It's like when Jesus did something cool. So it's been awesome, it's been fun, this fast and journey of even entertainment, but we're also doing food choices and, and some people on a Daniel fast, others 21 days no sugar. Whatever your choice is, you've gone to the Lord and you've said for 21 days, 
you're doing something in my life, God. I heard a story even today, because the response has been amazing. Entire families fasting, students choosing to fast from things. And, and, and I heard a story from a mom, she caught me today and she said, let me tell you what's happening in my family, and let me tell you what's happening in my life. She told me about her family, how her whole family's in it, how one kid is just diligently not eating that dessert when the rest of the family's having ice cream. But she said for her, she said, let me tell you about my life. I had a very big call to my mom and I said things to her that were years, years too late, right? Like I've been waiting to say these things for years and I never had the right words, never felt like I had the right power, never felt like I had the right strength. And she said, because of this fast, the Holy Spirit was so strong, I was able to have a family tree conversation with my mom and Brandon, it was life-changing. That's the power of sacrifice. So I am so excited about what God's gonna do in your life, in your family's life, in this church's life, and if God really gets a hold of us in our city's life, in our community's life, can we celebrate what God's gonna do as we sacrifice for him? I'm telling you, it's big. Last week we talked about fasting. Today I wanna talk about prayer. Spiritual disciplines in this building faith journey, prayer, prayer. You must pray. You must pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. Then in verse nine he says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Today, title of today's message is How to Pray. I think most of us in our culture, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're really a person of faith or not, most of us believe it's kind of a human thing to pray. You see it in music, you see it in drama, you see it in theater, you see it in movies, you see it everywhere, prayer. And prayer is a human thing, but now how to pray, that's another thing. A lot of us, we feel uncomfortable praying. If we're praying in a group and someone, maybe it's, a time for you to pray out loud or over a meal, and maybe, uh, maybe it's up to you if you wanna pray out loud, you kinda back away. You're, there's a little bit of an intimidation factor. First of all, you will not feel bad about that today. I'm gonna explain that for you. I'm gonna package that for you that you'll understand what's going on when you feel a little intimidated like that. And today, we're gonna get over that. We're gonna crush that roadblock, and we're gonna experience true freedom at the power of prayer. But it is a thing. Or maybe you feel like, I just don't have the knowledge. I feel like I need to have more knowledge, the right words to say, how to say them, when to say it. Brandon, I'm just afraid of doing it wrong. And the truth is, 
There is a wrong way to pray. There is a wrong way to pray, where if you were praying like this, I would say biblically, you are praying wrong. And Jesus just said it. He said, don't be like those religious people who when they pray, they're praying for the praise of others. They're praying for the praise of others. Praying for the praise of others. And so you have this religious prayer that isn't from the heart, it's from a sense of duty or it's from a sense of, I want them to see how spiritual I am or how deep I am or did they hear what I said or boy, I really know my theology. And there's this prayer from a position of religious pride. And Jesus said, eh, that's the wrong way to pray. On the other hand, he said, here's another wrong way to pray and he just mentioned it, like the Gentiles do. In other words, he was referring to people who did not believe the Bible, did not worship the God of the Bible, and so Gentiles, praying like humans do, right prayer, wrong God. And he said in their culture, and I'm not sure exactly what this looked like 2,000 years ago, but he said basically they'd throw up empty phrase after empty phrase after empty phrase after empty phrase after empty phrase. I don't know if it was some ecstatic religious babble. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was a, a phrase they had memorized and they just pray it over and over and over and over and over. I don't really know, but I do know this. Jesus described it as praying these empty phrases repeatedly, repeatedly. So here on the one hand, you have the religious. On the other hand, you have the rebellious. And what's the common denominator between them both? They miss the heart. They miss the heart. And the object of their prayer was the wrong direction. Over here, the object of their prayer was me. I want you to see me. Over here, the object of their prayer was a false god. So here, God is saying, you can pray wrong. And then he says, I wanna teach you how to pray right. I wanna teach you how to pray right. Now first, let's define prayer. What is prayer? What do I mean when I say prayer? Now I've got some really great definitions and I'm gonna have two awesome definitions on one screen. You could take a picture of this or if you can really write fast, you could write these down. <clears throat> first from the Westminster Shorter Catechism in 1647. So this definition still holds from 1647. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Wow, that's an intense definition right there. Louis Giglio is a pastor, author, preacher, leader, that if you've grown up in church, you've heard his name, this may be a new name for you, but he's, he's a big deal and, and he's an incredible contribution to the church. This is what he says prayer is. Prayer is a steady state of awareness of Father, Son, and Spirit, creating a constant and seamless union of heart and mind with the Almighty that shifts, love that, that shifts earthly perspectives, plans, and purposes as heaven becomes visible on earth. And so you could take a picture of these screens. These are amazing definitions. These are biblically accurate definitions. These are theologically accurate definitions. And these could be really helpful for you. Some of you may wanna take these definitions and just kind of break them down and really strengthen your mind and strengthen what you think about when you think of God. But I gave you these really impressive definitions just only to be 
underwhelmed by my definition, okay? My definition's a little bit shorter, and it is simply this. Prayer is communication and communion with the almighty triune God. Prayer is communication. You're talking to God like I'm talking to you right now, like you would talk to a son or a daughter, like you'd talk to your wife, like you'd talk to a coworker. It is communication, but it's no less than communication, but it is so much more. It's communion. It's contact. It's connection. It's communication. See, the the religious people over here, they're communicating. Over here, they're communicating. Over here, they're communicating, but they're not making contact. They're not communing. Over here, they're communicating. Right communication, wrong God. So they're not with the triune almighty God. So you don't just pray to some spirit in the sky. You don't just pray to earth or to nature. You pray to the God that is revealed in the word of God, the God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, triune God. This is a God that you're talking to, and watch out, he might have something to say back. We're talking about prayer today. There are some commands about prayer throughout the Bible, and I've, I've collected just a couple of my favorites, but all over scripture, God commands us to pray. So this is not something that is like, kind of, oh, I'll let the real spiritual people pray, or I'll let those people pray, or they really know what they're doing. No, no, prayer is a command. Not the least of which what we already read, where he said, pray like this. And then earlier, when you pray. So it's a, it's a command. But also we see in Matthew 5, he says, pray for those who persecute you. In Matthew 21, 13, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray in order to resist temptation. And then, I love this one, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't be anxious, but pray. We'll hold that up for a second. But you can see here, wow, these are just a few that I've collected, some of my favorites. These are God's commands for prayer. So you see, hey, if you're being pushed or you're experiencing pressure from the outside, it is a command to pray for those people. It is not a a good idea or spiritual double black diamonds. No, no, no. It's a command for all Christ followers. You pray for those who hurt you. Number two, my house shall be called a house of prayer. This house must be a house of prayer. At the end of our time together, we're going to offer you an opportunity to come forward, fill the front here, and for us to have a time of prayer. Next he says, not only that, watch and pray in order to resist temptation. You have no hope of of resisting temptation if you are not a praying person. It's a command. Want to resist temptation? Here's my command. In other words, this isn't in the list of what to do of optional things. No, this is the thing. You pray in order for you to resist temptation, and then you want to deal with worry, you want to deal with anxiety, there's a command to deal with that. You don't just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try real hard. You don't just read a couple of books or or subscribe to your favorite blogger. You don't do that. No, no, it's not serenity now, serenity now. Pray. It's a command. Pray, pray. And I love in the ancient words of this great theologian that some of you have not heard of uh, because he's an old, old theologian, MC Hammer, you've got to pray (laughs) just to make it today. Yeah. You've got to pray just to make it today. All right. So we've got to pray. It's a command. It's personal. It's a thing. And it's important. So let's kick it off. Our Father in heaven is how he kicks it off. And we're going to hit these phrases briefly and to give you an overview of how to pray so you can quickly start exercising it. And then when we have our come forward time, you can start exercising your new prayer muscles or freshening up on ones you already have. Our Father 
in heaven. Every one of these phrases is its own message. So I'm gonna discipline myself right now, okay? Pray for your lunch plans. Our Father in heaven. Interesting he chooses those first words right out of the bat, I wanna teach you how to pray. By the way, we call this the Lord's Prayer, but it's really not the Lord's Prayer. It's a model prayer, okay? And I'll, I'll, I'll point out to you in a moment the moment where it ceases to be a prayer Jesus would pray. There's a point in this Lord's Prayer where Jesus would not have prayed this, but he's teaching us how to pray. But we're not all uptight at Keystone, we'll still call it the Lord's Prayer. But it is truthfully more like the Lord's model prayer. Our Father in heaven, that word Father, chosen so intentionally, Father, Father, so intimate, right? that he chooses the name of the protector, he chooses the name of provider, he chooses the name of one who brought you into existence, he chooses the one who looks upon you affectionately, he chooses the one that you can get a hold of, he chooses the one that you go to for advice, maybe you wouldn't use the word father, maybe you would use the word dad, daddy. You still, you're an adult and you still call your dad, daddy. Daddy, daddy, this is me. Intimacy, intimacy. First thing out of the bat, Jesus is saying prayer is intimate. And the one on the other side of the line, he wants an intimate experience with you. He wants a conversation with you like you would have with a father. Now, when I use that word father though, I can conjure up a lot of feelings because fatherhood can be debatable a little bit because maybe you had an absent father, abusive father, foolish father, controlling to the point that it's like you had no free will, father. And when you hear the word father, do you bristle? It could, be, it could be so broken, so hurtful to think of your earthly father that to hear prayer that says, Father, you bristle. You have an emotional reaction, maybe even a physical reaction. You're not alone. Earthly fathers are imperfect. I'm an imperfect dad. I am. We've had to apologize to our kids for things. My parents have apologized for us. And, and here's a parenting truth 101. We're all planting dysfunction into our kids. Okay, Every single one of us, I'm planting it in, you're planting it in. Why? Because we are imperfect people. We are imperfect parents. Now, you can have, you can have an imperfect mom, but right now I'm talking about the dads. And I want to ask the question, do you have a father wound? I'd say a lot of us may have a father wound that make it difficult for us to appeal to God as father. How do I know if I have a father wound, dad? Yeah, Brandon, yes, I, I, I have some history with my dad. Yeah, there's some stuff there. How do I know if I'm really wounded in a sense that I have not healed? Well, there's two basic ways you can test yourself on a father wound. Number one, um, do you tend to run toward approval of an authority figure maybe even a male authority figure, do you run toward that approval so hard that to miss that approval destroys you? I mean, you just crumble. 
When you miss the mark for someone that's in authority over you, is it kind of an identity crisis? Like, you're not okay. Like, is this isn't healthy. How, how linked you are to this person's approval, you might have a father wound. On the other hand, on the other side, some of us have been wounded to the point, I want nothing to do with my father, and so you're not running to approval of authority figures, you're running from approval of authority figures. So in your life, you have a lot of brothers and no fathers. Do you understand that? You got homies, you got friends, you got colleagues, you got people that you're, you're right here with, but you have no spiritual authority people in your life. Who speaks into your life? You've always struggled with the coach. Even when you were a teenager, you just struggle with the coach. You struggle with that strong teacher. You struggle with, struggle with strong bosses. I, I, I won't be my own boss. That's okay if you wanna be your own boss. But not if it's because of rebellion in your heart. You see, that may be coming from a father wound. Here's the truth about praying, our father. Every time you pray, to God as Father, it has the potential to start healing that father wound. You wanna know why? Because you with your earthly imperfect father who possibly has implanted some dysfunction into your life and there may be a father wound there, if you understand this truth, you are praying to a heavenly father, a perfect father, and in basking in the glow of the perfect father and creating your attention and focusing your mind's eye on the good father who is not absent. He did not abuse you. He is not foolish, he's wise, and he is not controlling. He gives you will to choose. Understand this, the more you marinate on the good, good father, the more it heals your father wound. That's good news, my friend. That's good news. Our father who art in heaven, who art in heaven, I like to say, God's the one who sits on the edge of your bed and waits for you to wake up every morning. You say, where do you get that, Brandon? Well, that's what I think about when I hear in the Bible that God knows the number of hairs on your head and he thinks about you more than the grains of sand on planet Earth. That's a God that's a good father. But then he says, who is in heaven? I have to say it, who art in heaven. That's how I memorized it. I memorized it in King James, Ver King James Version, which is 1500s, which means it's pirate language, okay? So, our Father who art in heaven, I'm stuck, okay? Our Father who art in heaven. Father, heaven. Now, what are we learning here? He's putting together two pictures, and we just sang about the other picture, the holiness of God, the beauty of God, the majesty of God. They go together. They go together. Isn't that amazing? So, some people, they like to really focus on the relational side of God at the expense of the holiness of God and the majesty of God. Others of us, we like to really get into the majesty of God, the holiness of God. And, and I'll hear things like this, well, I really love those old rituals or I love the, 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 I, I love the great and lofty things of God. But I would challenge you and push you into the personal side of God. You see, we need it both. We need it both, and that takes us to the next prayer. Our, God, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, not a word we use very often, hallowed. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is in the original Greek, agiazo. Greek word agiazo. Agiazo means holy. We just got through singing, holy, holy God, who was and is and will be forever. Holy, agiazo. Holy means set apart. 
That means it's so special, so different, that it's, 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 you could see the distance. You know, if, if you're in like a job and you see somebody doing such a better job than you, you're like, wow, I can see the distance. Um, sometimes in sports, it's easier to see those that they've just created some distance between you and them, they're just so good. That is a really bad, bad, bad analogy that just attempts to begin the thought to understand the distance between us sinful people and holy God. He is so different than us. He is holy. Holy things in the, New Test- in the Old Testament were things set apart and it was don't touch that. I don't, I don't grossly or crassly put my hands on those things, okay? So like in marriage, your marriage is to be holy. Other people don't put their hands on your marriage. Your marriage is supposed to be holy. That means it's to you two. That means that it is, it is sacred and it is set apart and it, it is careful with other relationships. Are you reading my mail? Are you picking up what the Lord just dropped on you? You need to not be so casual with other relationships. You need to guard your marriage. You need, and that doesn't mean you become this cloistered little thing. But what it means is that, boy, we so value our oneness that the kids understand this is the priority relationship. That other friends understand we're not going to be too loose with them because we value this relationship. Okay, that's what it means to be holy. We have a temptation, and this prayer will help you. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When I start praying like that, what I'm doing is I'm saying, God, would you help me to take the sacred things and recognize them as holy and take the common things and recognize them as not. But we have a temptation. We take common things and we make them sacred and holy and we take the holy things and the sacred things and we make them common. And when you begin to pray like this, it reminds you of the Ten Commandments. And you hear Ten Commandments like where he says, don't take the Lord, the God's name in vain. Holy, sacred. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Don't touch it. But what do we do? We take the Sabbath, which is sacred, and we make it common. And we take sports, which is good, but it's common, it's not sacred, it's not holy. We make it holy. And we say, don't touch my sports, but you can touch my Sabbath. Okay, easy to beat up on sports. What is the common thing you have elevated to a sacred place? What is the sacred things that you have treated with vulgarity? Just common, just loose. I'm loose with the things of God. Because he's daddy. I'm loose with the things of God. No, he's father, but never, ever, ever treat him as loose, okay? So hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm moving so fast. Do you know for a preacher it's so hard when I see pages flipping like this, you know, in the message, but, but you can thank me later. We're gonna have to do a whole series on the Lord's Prayer, right? We're just gonna have to do it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom come, will be done. Tony Evans, who's a pastor in our city, his whole life message is kingdom, kingdom. Pastors tend to have a, a certain themes that they revolve around, and his is kingdom, kingdom come, 
Kingdom is a very biblical word, and when you hear kingdom, what am I, what am I hearing? You're hearing about the place and the reign of God. God's reign and God's rule, okay? And ultimately, it will be a place. Um, God is perfectly ruling and reigning in heaven, where he is controlling the entire universe from heaven, and the kingdom is perfectly intact in heaven, where Jesus, the Son of God, stands at the right hand of the Father. We, on the other hand, are living on the kingdom of man. This is the kingdom of earth. And it is a fallen, broken place. And the kingdom is not yet fully realized here. Jesus came, and one of the things that he would say is, I am bringing the kingdom. The kingdom is here. What was he saying? Now that I'm here, the kingdom can break through heaven-touching earth. And we see immediately things happening like miracles. We believe in miracles at Keystone Church. We believe that you could be prayed over and your body could be healed. You know why we believe that? Because in heaven, there's no sickness. So when he says, kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying, God, would you make the veil between heaven and earth very thin right now, and would heaven touch earth, and would your kingdom be realized right here at the point of my body, at the point of my sickness, at the point of their body, at the point of their sickness? God, I pray, if your kingdom was here fully realized, there would be no cancer, there would be no brokenness, there would be, there would be no heart surgery. And so God, I'm praying right now for your kingdom to be realized right now. That's what miracle praying is. And we do that here at Keystone. But it's also, God, would your kingdom come, would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven for my marriage. We're just not close, we're cold, we don't laugh like we used to. And God, I know in your kingdom there's laughing. In your kingdom there's not separation. In your kingdom, we're not over here folding arms and looking away. So God, would your kingdom come, would your will be done, may it be thin right here. And God, would we learn to love each other the way that you would have us love each other. And that means kingdom come will be done on my way I talk to my wife. Kingdom come will be done on the way she shows you respect. Kingdom come will be done on how I raise my, parent, my kids or your parents if you're in that season. <laughs> Kingdom come will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are praying for here to look like there. And uh, I told myself I wasn't gonna do this little rabbit trail, but I have to do it. Um, Y'all know it's an election year. Right? I told myself I wasn't for time, not because I don't want to preach it. I want to preach it badly. It's an election year, and you know what that means? That means that we, people of God, need to be kingdom people this year. And the kingdom of God, when it comes to political party, there will never be a political party that ever fits perfectly with the kingdom of God. It just doesn't work because that's the kingdom of man. That's, that's worldly politics. And it's never gonna be perfect. Okay, so if you're looking for the perfect candidate, if you're looking for the perfect party, you're chasing infinity. You're just gonna keep chasing and chasing and chasing. It's not gonna be perfect, but here's what I know. There is a message that says, keep the church out of Washington, D.C. Keep the church out of Austin, Texas. Keep the church out of the school board meetings. Keep the church out of our business. And I'm telling you, every place the church has retreated, the devil has invaded. 
And so when it comes to politics, the church, hey, run for mayor, run for city council, go for the school board because the kingdom of God needs to be ever present in those rooms. We need to be salt and light in those rooms. We need to go into entertainment. We need to go into politics. We need to go into the boardrooms of the highest of places because the kingdom of God, you are the bearers of the kingdom of God. And if we retreat, what hope does our country have? What hope are we ever gonna have good classy entertainment if the kingdom people are not shining kingdom light in the darkness. Kingdom come will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you're ready to give up on your, on your job because it's a dark place. Maybe today I gave you a little gasoline from the word of God to go in and say, I'm coming in, kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm gonna treat the employees in my care differently than they do in their care because I'm a kingdom person. Kingdom come will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It's okay to ask things of God. Sometimes we get too spiritual. Like you're, you're out punning your coverage. Like you're going further than the Bible goes. Like, oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm get, God, you've given me so much, I'm not gonna ask for one thing. You've given me so much, I, I, I humbly, God, don't wanna ask for one thing. Well, that's just not biblical. If you're not asking God for anything, you're, you're, you're starving. God says, ask, seek, knock. The door will open. I will answer you. So God wants a relationship, and that comes from conversation and asking. So as we ask God, here's what it looks like. God, and he says, bread. God, would you help me with my needs? That prayer is powerful. Because if you begin to say, God, give me this bread, the, my daily bread, the bread I need today and the day I need tomorrow, if you're giving me my needs, then God, you're, you're helping me to discern between what is a need and what is a want. And prayer helps exercise those muscles of saying, that's a need, that's a want. And in doing so, by praying like that, God breeds such contentment that you understand, I don't really need that, that'd be great. And then here's what happens. When God begins to level up and stack blessing on blessing, and you know that's not a need, it doesn't own you. It's a blessing. Thank you, God. I need bread. I need shelter. I just need shelter. I need a place for my kids, but you've given me a home where every kid can have a bedroom. Thank you, Jesus. That's not a need. It's a blessing. Don't judge other person's blessings. Meet every person's need. Stop judging blessings. You've got enough to pray on for yourself. God, help me to discern between needs and wants. Give me this day, my daily bread, but go to God with your requests, even with the wants. God, I'm gonna spend some time on the needs, but God, it sure would be nice to be able to have the ability to take a vacation this year with my family and, and for us to be able to, you know, vacation this year is not just walking around the neighborhood. Hey, vacation, kids. You know, vacation this year is we actually go somewhere. And God, would you give us the financial ability? And wham, he blesses you like that. And at that point, what do you do? You go to the front of the line, you say, good father. Thank you, God, you're such a good father. Let's keep on going. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have also forgiven our debtors. So this is confession and repentance. Our prayer rhythm should be a daily dose, a daily dose, maybe even like twice a day, maybe more for some of you. God, I've sinned, I've blown it again, would you forgive me? I've created a debt against you and a debt against them. I messed up again, would you forgive me? God has no illusion that you'll be perfect, but he does ask us to stay clean. Stay clean. 
and I wash my hands more than once a day. I don't know about you. I wash my hands regularly because I want to stay, what? Clean. And God has made a provision for you to be clean. Confess your sin to him. But here's the danger of bitterness. If you do not forgive other people, he says in verse 14, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's a hard scripture to read. But it's true. God says your bitterness, your unforgiveness, this thing is clogging your heart and it's blocking your freedom with me. That's what God's saying. Your freedom is blocked because you're, holding on to this other person. And it's like you're choking the other person with vengeance and you're asking God to give you life while you're holding this other person down. But God bless me. Oh yeah, a little extra there, huh? But would you bless me? And God says, I want you to be totally free. Free when you come to me, okay? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus had recently just come back from 40 days, 40 nights of fasting and spiritual warfare. So when he says, hey, lead us not into temptation, he was tempted. But deliver us from evil, he was tempted by the devil himself. And so what did I say? In order to deal with temptation, you must pray. Jesus knows spiritual warfare is a real thing. First Peter chapter five, verse eight, the Bible says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your enemy, the adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that's the Lord's model prayer for us. And he says, as you pray like this, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. This should be a rhythm of your life. Now, you may have heard that whole thing and you come out saying, man, that's complicated. That's a lot. I don't know that I'm going to remember all of this. I still feel a little bit inadequate. Maybe I've gone from a three to a five, but I want to be an eight or a 10. How do I get there? Well, let me simplify the Lord's prayer for you. And let me do it with a chart. Check this out. So on the one side, we have our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then over here, give us this daily bread, forgive us our debts, and deliver us from evil. These are the six prayers of the Lord's Prayer. Do you notice a pattern? The first three over here, they're vertical. It's all about God, God, God. But over here, we go horizontal. We begin to deal with us. We begin to deal with others. We begin to deal with people. So you wanna get the Lord's Prayer real simple, but as you mature and as you get stronger, you begin to break it down more specifically like I have for you. But if you wanna get real simple, let's just start with the Lord. God, here I am. I know you're my Father. I know you're holy. I love you. Thank you for all that you've done for me. You're amazing and I'm blown away. And over here, God, I've got some bread questions for you. I've got some forgiveness I need to deal with. I have real issues of my heart that I need to wrestle through. I just walked you through the Lord's Prayer. But God, I really want my friendship to look the way you would want it to look, so God, would you help me make it look the way you want it to look? And it just begins to flow the more you do it. It's like just muscle memory, but remember, it's really vertical and horizontal. It's to God, and then it's about us and others. 
Help me, God, with my forgiveness and help me forgive others. Help me as I'm in temptation and help me not to lead others into temptation. Powerful. And, and James chapter five, basically the promise is this. If you confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So the promise is as you just give him your heart, it doesn't have to be perfect, but there's gonna be power. There will be power. So what we love to do today is just give you an opportunity to exercise new muscles, or maybe revisit and strengthen the muscles that you have. And we wanna finish today with prayer. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna have you stand to your feet. I'm gonna pray. Yeah, go ahead and stand to your feet. You're okay. Go ahead and stand to your feet. I'm gonna pray over you. And when I'm done praying, we're gonna to sing together. And we're gonna sing loud, church. And as we sing together, I'm gonna to ask you to just fill up the front. Sometimes we'll have the prayer team and pastors waiting to receive you. Today, we're just gonna have you just fill up the front and you just start exercising those muscles yourself. And then our prayer team and pastors are gonna come behind you and begin to pray over you. And if you really want them to pray for something specific, healing, salvation, anything at all, just tell them, hey, could you pray for me about this? But as you feel a hand on your shoulder, know that that's a saint of Keystone Church that's praying for you. God, pray for addictions to be broken. I pray, God, for marriages to be healed. So can we bow our heads and close our eyes? God, we pray right now for freedom in this house. I don't know what's about to happen with a room as full as this, this room is, but God, I pray for healing in this house. I pray for lids to be lifted. I pray for somebody to find you for the first time. I never knew that God was like a father. I want that. And maybe you come forward and you say, help me to become a Christ follower. Today's your day. Today's your day. Father, I pray for freedom in the room. And I pray as people move, I pray that they be exercising faith. I haven't been praying. I wanna pray. So I'm gonna come forward. I'm gonna let my legs move, communicating what my heart needs to be doing. So God, I pray for a moving room and I pray for a man to reach over and pray for his wife. And maybe that's been uncomfortable. And by the way, God, you didn't have to pray for forgiveness of sin. You didn't have to pray for forgiveness of sin, but maybe some of us do. And so God, I pray for healing, for brokenness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The front is yours. Move as God leads you. Come church. Let's just be respond with obedience as God is moving on your heart. Let's go. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about Keystone Church, please visit us at keystonechurch.com.